who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. You are listening to episode 24 of Owner's Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the Solar Clipper, written and read by Nathan Lowell. Chapter 56, Diurnia System, February 22, 2373. After the initial unpleasantness, things settled down quickly. The Girards adopted the little fiction surrounding Ms. Maloney readily enough, and Mr. Du Bois stayed busy in his compartment except for very brief sojourns to the galley for meals. Four days out of Diurnia, and I began to think that hauling passengers was not such a bad business after all. At 23.45, Ms. Arione clambered up the ladder to the bridge with her coffee in hand. "'You're looking awfully bright-eyed for a mid-watch,' I said. "'Thanks. Funny what a little sleep can do, huh? You ready for your day off, Captain?' "'Oh, Captains don't get days off, Miss Arione. We just have days where we don't stand watch.' "'Okay, then. What are you going to do on the day you don't stand watch, sir?' She gave me a cheeky grin. I grinned back at her. "'Sleep, I think. I'm tired.' That's what I did today. Woke up long enough to eat, use the head, and crawl back in. I like that plan of action, Miss Arione. I may adopt it. Be my guest, Captain. She started scanning her boards, and I left her to it, dropping down the ladder and heading for the galley. I found the galley clean and quiet, waiting for the morning festivities. I thanked the stars for Miss Maloney's abilities, not only in the galley, but in helping to keep the passengers happy. At least the Gerards were happy. They told me so at every meal. I slotted my dirty mug and checked the coffee urn. It was nearly full, as I'd expected, since I'd just made a fresh pot at 2200. I didn't expect anybody else would be up to drink it except for Miss Arione. I went into the cabin and closed the door behind me. It had been a long day and I was ready for my bunk, but with the port open and the deep dark spread out in front of me, I just stood there for a time. The low sounds of voices in the galley brought me back to reality. One was Miss Arione and the other was a male voice I couldn't place at first. I opened the cabin door and found Mr. Du Bois standing very close to a very angry-looking Miss Arione. He turned to look at me. She continued to glare at him. Her mug was in her left hand, and there was a wet stain on her ship suit where it had spilled. In her right hand, she held a black, pen-shaped object. Captain, Du Bois said on seeing me, you're up. Yes, Mr. Du Bois, I just came off bridge watch. I'd like to know what you're doing with my watchstander. Oh, nothing, Captain, 
He leered down at her, and I could see her grip on the pen shift, just being friendly towards the crew. Mr. Du Bois, I'll warn you only once. Don't. Whatever you think it is you're doing, it's not appreciated. Not by me, not by Ms. Arione. If you persist, Ms. Arione is fully capable of dealing with the problem, and she has my full authority to do so. His laugh was a sort of bass titter. Come now, Captain, there's no need for threats. You mistake me, sir. I have made no threats. I don't believe in them. Threats warn one's opponent and tip one's hand. I locked eyes with him. I suggest you step slowly away from Ms. Arione now and return to your compartment. Or what, Captain? You'll thrash me. He sneered, and I couldn't decide if he was drugged, drunk, or merely terminally stupid. Me, Mr. Du Bois? Hardly. I'm going to go back into my cabin and leave you here for Ms. Arione to deal with. She's a bit out of practice and could use the workout. What, this cute little bit? Mr. Du Bois, Ms. Arione is my bodyguard. No one has ever walked away from an assault on me as long as she's been my bodyguard. Step away, Mr. Du Bois. Now, if you please. He looked at her in surprise and then back at me. For a few heartbeats, I thought he was going to be stupid. But he took one step back and then another. Okay, okay, he said. I was just trying to be nice. He sniffed and turned, walking back to his compartment with as much of his dignity as he thought he retained. Thank you, Ms. Arione. If you'd resume your watch. Aye, aye, Captain. She nodded and went to the galley to refill her mug before clambering back up the ladder. I watched her go and sighed. Every time I thought I had a handle on things, I learned that I simply did not understand the situation. In spite of my desire to sleep through breakfast, the smell of coffee and bacon drove me from my bunk. I got cleaned up and into a fresh ship suit before putting in an appearance. I wasn't surprised when Mr. Du Bois didn't join the coffee clatch in the kitchen. Ms. Maloney had adopted an open kitchen rule and served breakfast at our normal hour, but always had a little something. Fruit, cheese, yogurt, pastries, and bottomless pitchers of juice available almost around the clock. Mr. and Mrs. Gerard joined us for breakfast, and even I noticed the glow between the two of them. Mrs. Gerard, in particular, seemed almost languid in her enjoyment of breakfast and effusive in her praise of the ship. Captain, I can't tell you when we've enjoyed a cruise more, she gushed. Mark and I travel so much that we've become quite jaded about it, haven't we, dear? She patted him on his leg with an arched eyebrow and a bit of a smile. Oh, to be certain, my dear, to be certain. Usually we're crowded dreadfully, stuffed in shoebox-sized cabins and the bunks, she groaned dramatically. But not here, Captain. My back has not felt so good in Stanier's, perhaps decades. She smiled around the table and patted Mr. Gerard's leg again. And we're almost at the jump already? She smiled, quite delightedly pleased. This is most expeditious, Captain, most expeditious, isn't it, dear? She turned back to her husband and stroked the inside of his thigh. Very swift transit indeed. I grinned into my coffee cup and considered Ms. Maloney's suggestion of honeymooners as a potential market niche. I wondered if we would find ourselves hip-deep in passengers once Mrs. Gerard started noising about on the joys of her cruise experience. Do you find the view to your liking, Mrs. Gerard? I asked. Oh, that's the thing that really sets your vessel apart, Captain. Why, it's like we're flying through space while snug in our bunk. It's quite relaxing and most enjoyable. Her voice lowered to a near purr, and she leaned closer to Mr. Gerard. You're enjoying it too, aren't you, love? It's been rather invigorating, to be sure. He looked at me over her shoulder and winked. Invigorating indeed. Ms. Maloney coughed once and immediately put a napkin to her lips. Oh, excuse me, I shouldn't inhale coffee like that, it spoils the taste, she said when she'd recovered. 
Mrs. Gerard turned to me again. So, Captain, will you be announcing when we actually jump? We'll know the precise moment, won't we? Oh, yes, Mrs. Gerard, I'll announce it over the ship's speaker so you'll know. I did my very best to keep a straight face as I added, I'll actually give you about a half a stand warning so you'll have time to prepare yourselves. She turned to Mr. Gerard. Half a stand should be enough to get ready, don't you think, dear? I think that would be perfect, yes, certainly enough time. Miss Maloney made little throat-clearing sounds, trying to expel the rest of the coffee from her lungs, no doubt, while Miss Arione looked around the table trying to figure out what was happening. Chief Bailey excused himself and slotted his dishes. Better get to work. Scrubbers need attention. Yes, they do. He announced no one in particular and shambled out of the galley with a full mug of coffee hooked in his forefinger. Breakfast broke up shortly thereafter, with Mrs. Gerard leading a rather bemused-looking Mr. Gerard back to their compartment to prepare for the jump. Miss Arione giggled. They look like a fun couple. Miss Maloney sipped her coffee and shrugged. Pharmaceutical manufacturing has been good to the Gerards. I've known them since before I went away to school. They used to be rabid card players. I refrained from making comments about hands by strong applications of willpower. The thought did remind me of Miss Arione's run-in with Mr. Du Bois. Miss Maitland, have you had any problems with our other passenger? I kept my voice pitched low. Problems, Captain. Miss Arione leaned over to her. He jumped me coming out of the galley last night. Just being friendly, he says. Miss Maloney cocked her head at Miss Arione. Are you okay? Yeah, he startled me, got too close to me and spilled my coffee. I should have kept a better level of awareness than I did. But aboard, it's not something you expect, you know? What happened? Well, nothing much, Miss Arione said. She tossed her head in my direction. The captain heard us on the passage outside the cabin, and when he stuck his head out to see what was happening, Mr. Du Bois backed down and went back to his compartment. Miss Maloney looked at me and then back at Miss Arione. You didn't hurt him, did you? Nah, I was ready to adjust his vocal cords for him, but the captain here scared him off. He hasn't bothered you, has he, Miss Maitland? I asked again. No, Captain, nothing like that. He's barely come out for meals. Miss Arione grimaced. Well, ain't I just special, then? You're the only female moving around in the middle of the night, Miss Arione. Stay on your toes. I don't think he really believes you're dangerous. He touches me again, he'll find out how dangerous I am. Try not to draw blood, Miss Arione, I said. Why, you afraid of the authorities on Greenfield? She seemed more curious than challenging. No, Miss Arione, it's difficult to get out of the deck coating. Miss Maloney looked distressed. That's no way to treat a guest, sir. If he starts manhandling the crew, he forfeits his guest privilege, Miss Maitland. Captain, might I respectfully suggest that roughing up the passengers might not be the best way to promote business? She seemed quite serious, and I sat back in my seat. Miss Arione stared at her slack-jawed. It's not like we're planning to mug him in his bunk, Miss Maitland. Might I suggest loud voices before hard metal, at least, she said. There's always somebody on the bridge or in the galley or both. A shout will carry up the ladder. Miss Arione nodded thoughtfully and shrugged, turning to me. She does have a point, sir. Indeed she does. Thank you, Miss Maitland. You're most welcome, Captain. Now, if you'll excuse me, I've got to get on with lunch prep. As she stood, Miss Arione and I followed suit, helping to clear the table. While Miss Arione sought her bunk for some much-deserved rest before taking the afternoon watch, I swept the galley. I had to admit there was a certain peace in simple tasks. Mr. Du Bois shambled in and scowled at me, fetching a cup from the rack and pouring coffee. When he realized what I was doing, he smirked. Found a duty that suited to your skills, eh, Captain? That dirt's pretty easy to bully about, huh? I smiled at him. Good morning, Mr. Du Bois. 
I leaned on the broom and watched him cross to the plate of pastries and pick out several, placing them on a napkin. He selected one and took a big bite out of it, chewing thoughtfully while he stood at the counter. Miss Maloney was working at the sink and had her back turned, so she missed seeing him leer at her backside. I resumed sweeping but watched him out of the corner of my eye as I swept. Periodically he held his pastry out and tapped it with a finger, knocking crumbs onto the deck. He never took his eyes off Miss Maloney's backside. She continued to wash dishes, unaware of his regard. "'Hey, Captain,' Mr. Du Bois said after a few more bites, "'there's crumbs on the deck over here you missed.' "'Thank you, Mr. Du Bois,' I said, but made no move to attend to the small spattering of crumbs he'd spread. Instead, I crossed to the far side of the galley and began sweeping from that corner. Miss Maloney turned then, wiping her hands on a side towel and leaning back against the sink. "'Mr. Du Bois, is there something you need? Would you like an omelette?' He grinned and brushed down the front of his clothes with his free hand. Now, hon, I'm good with eating sweets. He leered at her and took another bite of the pastry. All right, she said pleasantly. She crossed to where he was standing and pulled a plate from the rack, offering it to him with a smile. Help yourself, Mr. Du Bois. He took the plate and realized he had too many things to hold and couldn't pick up his coffee cup without shifting his load. While he fumbled, Miss Maloney disappeared into the pantry and closed the door behind her. After a few moments, I heard her rummaging about back there, moving cases of canned goods from the sound. Du Bois finally finished putting pastries on his plate, picked up his mug of coffee, and seeing the target of his observation had escaped, turned to me. I swept without comment. That's your squeeze, Captain, he asked with a knowing smirk, or do you do your bodyguard? I stopped sweeping and leaned on my broom. Good day, Mr. Du Bois. I smiled with my mouth. He frowned at my lack of response and tried again. Oh, I know. It's the lad, isn't it? He grinned knowingly. That's just about right. Or maybe it's the old man. I returned to my sweeping. I'm talking to you, Captain. I stopped sweeping long enough to look at him. Sir, you're making rude and inappropriate sounds. You're welcome to do so, but I've got a job to do. I believe I'll do it. I resumed sweeping. He made several other offhand, not to mention off-color, comments, but when I did nothing more than sweep, he eventually stopped. His face stiffened, and he went to the pot, filled his cup again, and then grabbing the plate of pastry, stormed out of the galley. "'You did well, Captain,' Miss Maloney stood in the pantry door and watched as I finished sweeping. "'Thank you, Miss Maitland. It was nothing, really, compared to the hazing that happens at the Academy at Port Newmar. It's been a while since I was subject to the imaginative and provocative imprecations of my fellow cadets. Our unpleasant passenger would be considered a clumsy amateur in that company.' She snickered but sighed. Well, the nice thing about duty here, Captain, the trips are short, and we'll never see him aboard again. True, Miss Maitland, very true. I'd still kind of like to see him walk in from the Burleson limit, but that would be spiteful and vindictive. And fatal, she pointed out. I suspect the CPJCT frowns on captains who space their passengers. I sighed dramatically. Too true, Miss Maitland, too true. Chapter 57 Greenfield System, March 2, 2373. By the time we were four days out of Greenfields, even the generally unflappable Ms. Maloney had had enough of Malcolm Du Bois. Whatever had occupied him in his compartment in the first few days underway had apparently lost its charm, and he spent his days sitting at a table in the galley, leering at Ms. Maloney. After the second full day of it, and after Ms. Maloney had a quiet talk with the Girards, we placed a galley off-limits except for meals. That had the effect of keeping him in his compartment. Short of shackling him to his bunk, it was the best we could do. I actually considered purchasing some shackles once we docked, but decided the temptation to use them would be too great. 
I've not traveled by commercial carrier that much, Miss Maitland. Is this normal? She shook her head. In all the trips I've taken, this guy takes the cake. She crossed her arms under her breasts and shuddered. It's not too unusual to have some Lido Declothario decide to make a play, but big disturbances on a small ship? Very rare. I've never had anybody not take no for an answer, and that's even without a bodyguard. I sighed and shook my head. I probably shouldn't have interfered that first time. A pointed lesson from Ms. Arione might have been embarrassing enough to keep him in his compartment. I don't know, Captain. It might also have yielded a lawsuit. He's just the kind who'd sue the victim for defending herself. Can we protect ourselves from this kind of behavior in the future, do you think? I'm out of my depth here. If it were crew, what would you do, Captain? Keep him too busy to make trouble. An order is an order to crew, but there are limits to what I can order a passenger to do. But if you have a legitimate issue of safety or security, you can give them orders, sir. I pondered that. Usually it's a question of the passenger's safety, though. Order them to stay out of the mess deck, out of engineering, that sort of thing. Yes, Captain, but that's a pretty sweeping power. It involves the safety of the ship. It's the basis for making the mess deck off limits. I looked at her. You seem pretty well conversant in this, Miss Maitland. Are you holding out on me? Holding out, Captain. You've been studying, Miss Maitland. Can I ask what? Steward, sir. That's my field. I'm finding it quite fascinating. Yes, Miss Maitland, but what level? Specialist first-class chef, Captain. I could feel my eyebrows trying to find my hairline. That's a big jump. Quarter share to spec one? Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but Miss Arione said that if I can pass the test, I'm qualified for that or any lower position. She's correct, I agreed. Can you do it? I think so, Captain. Except for the maritime law, almost all of it is directly out of my coursework at l'Institut des Arts Culinaires. I stared in open admiration. Miss Maitland, if you pass it, I'll pay it. Thanks, the extra credits will help. The way she said it, it didn't sound like a joke. Miss Maitland, the extra credits will help. Are you being serious? Yes, Captain. Jarvis used his power to freeze my assets pending the outcome of my stanier in space. How can he do that? My personal assets, the galleries, my apartments, my personal income, he can't. But I've been living off the income from my trust fund since I turned 21. The galleries just barely break even, and the cost of my various apartments comes out of my pocket. She gave me a level look. Luckily, I don't have a lot of extra expenses right now, but my disposable credits are spoken for, and I can't get any more until my lawyers break Jarvis's hold on my accounts, or the stanier is up. How could he get that through the board? He has enough friends there. As acting CEO and without stockholder oversight, he's got votes to do almost anything. The weasel! That's his way of helping to contribute to my failure. Even if I thought you could be bought, I have nothing to buy you with at the moment. And this is probably going to sound odd, Captain, but I'm just as glad. When we get to the other side, there's nobody who's going to be able to say I didn't earn it. Oh, you're earning it, Miss Maitland. You're most definitely earning it. Thanks, Captain. That means a lot coming from you. You're most welcome, Miss Maitland. I couldn't imagine why it meant a lot, but I wasn't going to argue with the woman. She checked the chrono and rose. Time to get dinner going. Chicken cordon bleu tonight. I know April likes it, and I think Mark needs some extra protein. I raised an eyebrow. April finds the view very stimulating, Captain. I just hope she doesn't kill Mark before we get to port. Well, I think Mr. Gerard's a very resourceful man, Miss Maitland. I'm sure he'll rise to the occasion. She groaned at the obviousness and, with a little wave, disappeared down the ladder. 
She had not been gone three ticks before I heard her shout from below, No! Leave me alone! The sound of a slap echoed clearly up the ladder, and I practically jumped down to the lower deck. Du Bois stood there holding Miss Maloney by the shoulder of her ship suit, a bright red handprint on the side of his face. That's enough, Du Bois. Return to your compartment. You'll stay there for the rest of the voyage. He sneered at me. Yeah, is that so, Captain? He spit the word like a curse. Or what? You're going to make me? He deliberately reached over with his free hand and grabbed Miss Maloney by the left breast, staring straight at me. Before I could move, her hand flashed and I heard the crack of bone as she grabbed his thumb and broke it. He screamed and dropped to his knees on the deck. You bitch! he cried, clutching his wrist to hold his hand steady, his thumb flopping awkwardly. You broke my thumb! She grabbed his hair in both fists and drove her knee at his face, stopping a centimeter from his nose. Be grateful, asshole. I could have done much worse. His face curled in a snarl. You can't treat me like this. You wait till I get to port. I'll sue you with an inch of your life. You'll never work in this quadrant again. You, young man, have a lot to learn. A woman's voice crackled through his rage, and we turned to see April Gerard clutching a sheet to her front. From where I stand, as a disinterested third party, I saw you assault a crewman engaged in her legitimate duty. When ordered to cease and desist, you not only defied that order, but escalated your assault. The crewman took appropriate action to protect herself and the ship. She did not use excessive force. That's what I saw. He sneered at her, his anger overwhelming even the pain in his hand. And who cares what you saw, you silly old cow? You've been screwing your brains out for the last week. Who's going to take you seriously? Well, that would be judge, silly old cow, to you, sir. Uh, might I suggest you keep a civil tongue in your head and ask the captain nicely if he'll allow you to use the auto-dock facilities aboard to treat your hand? She glanced at me with a small nod. Frankly, I believe he would be within his rights to withhold treatment, but I suspect he won't. Du Bois stared at her, rendered speechless by her response, or shock, perhaps. I suspected some of each. She sniffed once, and with a nod to Ms. Maloney, and me, turned and sailed down the passageway, returning to her compartment and closing the door behind her. I rather thought she knew the back of the sheet was opened, and I admired her confidence. I turned to Miss Maloney, who watched me watching Miss Gerard's departure with a wry grin on her face and an arched eyebrow. I shrugged, and together we looked at Du Bois, who had fallen on his side, clutching his wrist as if the stranglehold would block the pain. Miss Maloney and I sighed almost in unison. Come on, Malcolm. You've been a very bad boy. The auto dock will have you fixed up in no time. I hooked a hand in his armpit and helped him to the closet where we kept the auto dock pod. I helped him onto the pedestal, and the diagnostics took over, injecting him and closing its clamshell around him, locking him in. The display correctly identified his broken thumb, along with some chemical and hormonal imbalances that I didn't recognize. Huh. I turned and saw Ms. Maloney looking at the readouts over my shoulder. You recognize those? She nodded. I'm no doctor, but I suspect he's severely borderline and off his meds. She shrugged and added, Mother was borderline. I've seen those before. The readouts indicated he'd be in the pod overnight, so I went back on watch, and Miss Maloney went back to the galley to fix dinner. When Miss Arione came up over the ladder to relieve me in 1745, she was shaking her head. I miss all the good stuff, she muttered. Chapter 58, Greenfield's Orbital, March 6, 2373. When we got to Greenfields, we turned Mr. Du Bois over to orbital security for further medical examination. He'd come out of the auto dock sedated and with his hand immobilized. I wouldn't say he was contrite, but at least he was no longer belligerent. 
We didn't file formal charges against him for assault, but did file an incident report and attached his medical readouts to safeguard our position in the event of future lawsuits. Life aboard proceeded in spite of all the excitement. The day before docking, I secured almost a hundred cubes of high-priority pharmaceuticals for a return run to the Confederation authorities on Diurnia and posted our passenger availability for a return departure, leaving Greenfields on March 9th with an arrival of March 24. One passenger booked within a stand. Just before 0900, Ms. Maloney and I saw the Gerards off at the lock. Thank you, Captain, Judge Gerard said, and graced me with a handshake and a kiss on the cheek. Other than the unfortunate Mr. Du Bois, that was one of the most relaxing voyages I've taken in decades. She looked to Mr. Gerard. Wasn't it, dear? He hugged her to him, one arm around her shoulder. Very, he said, with a smile for her and another for me. He offered his free hand. Thank you, Captain. It's my pleasure, sir. He chuckled, but offered no comment. I thought Joyce Gerard elbowed him a bit, but it might merely have been her stepping forward to give Miss Maloney her goodbye hug and cheek kiss. I'm so pleased to see that you've landed on your feet, my dear. Your father would be very proud of you, I think. Thank you, April, and thank you both for coming with us. We'd love to have you back again. Judge Gerard grinned and stepped back to put her arm around her husband's waist. Next time we need to go to Diurnia, you'll be the first choice, believe me. She winked at me. You should consider setting up a regular run, Captain. We travel to Diurnia three or four times a stanier, and several of my fellow judges are called back nearly as often. Thank you, Judge Gerard. That's certainly a possibility. Oh, call me April, dear, she said with a wink. Anybody who's seen my assets is on a first-name basis. Thank you, April. She smiled up at her husband. Let's go, shall we? I've got to prepare for that Markham case on Monday, and I really must tell Prissy we're back. He chuckled and steered her off the ship, sauntering arm in arm as they moved across the dock. I keyed the lock closed. The ship seemed oddly quiet without them. Congratulations, Captain, Miss Maloney said. Thank you, Miss Mayland. For what? The successful transportation of your first paying passengers. A wry half-smile curled her mouth to the side of her face. And for impressing April Gerard. After Du Bois, I don't feel very impressive. That was unfortunate, but short of confining him to his compartment as soon as he started with Stacy, I think you handled it pretty well. I shook my head. Thanks, but I should have acted more decisively on that one. He was out of control for days and might have hurt you or Ms. Maloney. Maybe, but I can't imagine he'd have bested Stacy. He couldn't even stand up to me. I headed for the galley and another round of coffee. That reminds me, Ms. Maitland, you were rather impressive yourself. They didn't teach you self-defense at l'Institut des Arts Culinaires, did they? No, she agreed with a grin. E&D orientation training. Things sometimes get a bit rough out on the edge. I never needed to use it much before, but it wasn't my first scuffle either. And you still think you need a bodyguard? I stopped at the top of the ladder to look at her curiously. She paused and thought about it for a few heartbeats. I guess I never really considered it that carefully before, Captain. She shrugged and led the way into the galley. We found Chief Bailey and Mr. Herring there. I could see the hopeful look on Mr. Herring's face, but the chief looked subdued. He'd been all but invisible on the ride out. After getting my coffee and setting in my normal spot, I nodded to Mr. Herring. Yes, Mr. Herring, liberty is declared for all crew. Check in once a day so I know you are alive. Be aboard by 1000 on the 9th. He grinned and nodded. Thank you, Skipper. He disappeared before I could say, you're welcome. I turned to the chief. Problems, chief. No, none at all, Cap. Nope, nary one. Need to get the scrubber filters changed today, I think. See if I don't. He paused and glanced at me again before asking Ms. Maloney. Don't suppose I could get a little short time this trip, do you, Ms. Maloney? Been a while since I stretched my legs. Of course, Chief. 
She looked to me before adding, Clear it with the captain. Oh, aye, indeed I will. I most certainly will. If you go ashore, chief, just make sure your tablet is charged up and turned on. I need to be able to contact you in case of an emergency. Oh, aye, cap, can do. Not a problem at all. He stood and shambled out of the galley without another word. I tilted my head toward Miss Maloney. Does he seem off to you somehow? She frowned, but shrugged. He gets a little moody at times. I don't think he really likes being an engineer anymore, frankly. She looked at me across her mug. Has he gotten any better since the last time we talked? You know, in all the excitement, I haven't really paid that much attention. I was chagrined to admit it, but with everything else happening, riding herd on the engineer had not been one of my priorities. We've got a couple of days here until we get underway, and nothing much to do except wait to see if we get any passengers and look for a few more cubes. How are we doing on stores? We went through a lot of sweets, and I'd like to stock a few bottles of wine for the passengers, if that's okay, Captain. Well, of course. We're not a military vessel, and as long as watchstanders aren't showing up drunk on duty, we're okay. You're the acting chief steward. Use your best judgment. I'll back it. She gave me a pleased smile. Thank you, Captain. I really do appreciate that. <laughs> Thank you, Miss Maitland. Do you need more budget for the galley? Not at the moment, Captain. We're not consuming that much on any voyage, and you stocked us well before we got going. We sat there in silence for a few heartbeats. The klaxon startled us both when it went off, and I dragged myself up to let in the cargo handlers. While they worked, I set about looking for the volume adjustment on the klaxon controls. By the time the cargo crew had cleared the hold, I'd found the adjustment in the schematic, traced through to the system control unit, and managed to reduce the volume from full to 80%. A quick test beep proved that the klaxon was still loud enough, but I'd reduced it from ear-shattering levels to something more appropriately noticeable without causing hearing loss. While I had my tablet out, I pulled out the punch list that I'd given to the chief and started working backwards through the list. By the time I'd worked through the last dozen items, I was fighting the urge to scream. Not one of them had been fixed. By the time I got to the engine room items, I merely simmered. To give the devil his due, he had repaired the items in the passenger compartments, but the dead lighting panel in Mr. Herring's compartment was still out. By the time I finished the list, it became painfully obvious that the chief had done the bare minimum needed. Ms. Maloney and Ms. Arioni watched me storm into the galley, and I took a couple of deep breaths while I poured a cup of coffee and took in the luncheon spread. The chief has gone to stretch his legs already? I asked. Ms. Maloney shrugged. Yes, Captain. Well, it looks like just us, then. I sat at the table and helped myself to the soup and salad while I eyed the pair across from me. I'm not really in much of a mood to engage in our traditional first-night-ashore meal. What about you two? Ms. Arioni looked disappointed, but I thought Ms. Maloney looked relieved, and she spoke first. After that trip, Captain, I'd be happy for a quiet night aboard. She shot a sideways glance at Ms. Arioni. But I think somebody at the table needs to go let off a little steam. Ms. Arioni grinned. Steam? That's a funny name for it. They shared a chuckle. If you'd like to go ashore, Ms. Arioni, I give my word not to leave the ship and go skulking about the orbital on my own. I grinned around my soup. She shot me one of her exasperated looks. Skipper, you skulking is a horrifying image. Please, if you must skulk, don't ever do it when I'm around. It would be just too embarrassing. She grinned at me. But if you're sure it's okay. She looked back and forth between the two of us. I'm going to try to sleep, I think, I said. Ms. Maloney said, I may watch a movie. She looked at me. Too bad there's no Jimmy Chins here. I'd love to have some Oriental takeout for dinner. Ms. Arioni giggled. You haven't finished lunch yet, and you're thinking about dinner? 
We both laughed at that, but Miss Maloney defended herself. Well, when your whole day revolves around meals, you start looking ahead earlier. Good meals require a lot of planning. Besides, it would be something I didn't have to cook. Miss Arione tossed her head in my direction. The skipper's a good cook. Make him cook for you tonight. She got a sly grin. Sounds kind of romantic. Got the ship to yourself? Get a hunky man to cook you dinner? Slip into something more comfortable? She giggled as Miss Maloney colored, and I sighed dramatically. There'll be no slipping into something more comfortable around here, Miss Arione. I tried to scold her, but it came out so oddly we were all chuckling and giggling before I finished. Miss Arione gave a little shrug when she could regain her composure. If you say so, Skipper. She waggled her eyebrows at Miss Maloney as she finished her soup and stood from the table. Well, if you're sure, I'll take you up on that and get in a little R&R on my own, then. She slotted her dirty dishes and headed aft. She left us sitting in an awkward silence, but the awkwardness passed as first Miss Maloney and then I started laughing again. She's a sketch, I said. She's come a long way since I bailed her out of the brig. What was she in for, if it's not rude to ask? She hasn't told you. Miss Maloney shook her head. She's mentioned being in the brig, but the discussion usually devolves to her swearing and ranting about the paternalistic society and the stupid men involved in it. Many of her previous captains feature prominently. As far as I was able to tell, she got into a fight on the docks, got arrested, and had no crew to claim her. She sat in the brig for a few months until your father had the bright idea to tell me that if I allowed one of the crew to leave Agamemnon, then I'd be stuck with her. Could he do that? Truthfully, probably not. She was the next person on the waiting list for crew assignment. I visited her in the brig and thought she'd be a good fit. It was a setup, according to Kirsten Kingsley. A setup? Yeah, he wanted her off half pay and couldn't find a captain who'd take her. All he had to do was tell me I couldn't let Ricks go or he'd make me take her. She laughed softly. That sounds like father. It probably never occurred to him to just ask you. Yeah, it worked out. I got a good crewman. He got a half-paced baser off the beach. I turned at the sound of footsteps on the passage outside, and Miss Arione stuck her head in the galley. I'm heading out now, if you're still sure you won't need me. Enjoy yourself, Miss Arione, I said. Okay, Skipper. She gave us a jaunty wave and disappeared. You kids have fun, echoed from up the ladder. I looked across the table. I'm not sure I didn't like her better when she was broody and sullen. Miss Maloney chuckled into her coffee. Something here agrees with her captain. She seems very happy. She does. I paused and looked across the table at her. How about you, Miss Maloney? I know I keep asking, but you're a new quarter share. The commitment to the deep dark got thrown at you. It wasn't something you decided to do on your own. True. But like I said before, I always wanted to open a restaurant and just never had the right incentives. She looked around at the galley. This is like a little restaurant, and I have a captive customer base. It's still a challenge to come up with the menus that people like. I smiled. When I first signed on to Lois McKendrick, my boss used to say something like that. He thought that since the crew didn't have a choice about where to eat, we owed it to them to make our little restaurant the place they still wanted to eat at. Exactly! And it's so peaceful out there. She paused and shrugged. Mostly. Du Bois made things a little tense, but even at that. You handled him well. She sighed. Are you on about the bodyguard thing again, Captain? Yes, I suppose I am. I still think it's elephant repellent. You proved you can handle yourself, and realistically, who's really out to get you? Well, corporate kidnappers. I just looked at her. Do you know anybody who's been kidnapped? No, but everybody has a bodyguard these days. And you think there's a whole industry geared around waiting for some executive who's just wandering around loose, waiting for them to slip away from their bodyguards so that they can swoop in and nab them? 
She pursed her lips. It does sound pretty far-fetched when you put it that way, Captain. That's what you're telling me. She paused for a few heartbeats before nodding. Yes, I guess it is. We finished our lunches, and I helped her clear the mess deck. So what had you all, Stormy Captain? When you came into the mess deck, I thought somebody was going to get keel-hauled. The chief. After the warning I gave him back on Diarnia, he did just the bare minimum. There's still about two dozen lighting panels and assorted other small jobs that need to be done. Well, he said he needed to order some more lighting panels. True. I would have thought he'd have done that back on Diarnia, but maybe he did it here and they just haven't come aboard. I'm just not used to having to ride herd on Chief Engineer like he's some half-share wiper. Greta spoiled you, Miss Maloney said with a smirk. Excuse me? Chief Gerhardt. Greta. You remember her, I think, Captain. She smiled at me as she stashed the leftover soup in the chiller. You seem to know a lot about my ex-crew. Well, she was the subject of rather a lot of debate before we decided to slip the chief aboard. Really? I leaned on the counter and considered her. I wasn't sure if I felt more intrigued, insulted, or just a little like the last to know. Kirsten was very impressed with her. You three did some work aboard? Yes, I brought Chief Gearhart over to see the ship. We found the scrubbers dead and stinking up the place. Kirsten was with us. So I understand. She smiled at me. You're a strange man, Captain. Strange? Why didn't you invite Greta to be your engineer? She had a job already, a good job with a crew that needed her. I didn't feel the need to go into any of the other, more personal aspects. She arched an eyebrow at me and then started filling the sink to wash up a few pots, leaving me to stew. Feeling baited by my own crew, I pulled a mug out of the rack and grabbed a fresh cup. I'll be in my cabin if you need me, Miss Maloney. Okay, Captain. The amusement in her voice nettled me, but I refused to be drawn. Will you be cooking for me this evening, or shall I plan on making supper for us? I stopped at the door and looked back at her. Oriental, huh? She stopped washing the pot and turned to regard me over her shoulder. I'd love some if you can arrange it. Let me see what I can do, Miss Maloney. Failing that, I'll cook for you. She seemed surprised by my offer, but nodded. Thank you, Captain. That'll be fun. I went to my cabin and started digging. Thanks for listening to Owner's Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the solar clipper. Music is Larry O'Gaff, a traditional tune performed by Ragtime Larry and Tom Joad and is used with permission of the artists. You can find this and other works by Ragtime Larry and Tom Joad on the Internet Archive at www.archive.org. This has been a presentation from Dorandas, offered under a Creative Commons Attribution No Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 U.S. License. For more information about the book, the author, and the golden age of the Solar Clipper, visit www.solarclipper.com. Mm-hmm.